Hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, your host. Thank you for joining me. All of us want happy, healthy relationships, right? I know I do. There's so many different kinds of relationships. There's that special, intimate relationship that we have with our beloved. There's the parent-child relationship, friendships, co-worker relationships, all sorts of family relationships. And then there are those those friendships that we have that come and go in our lives. And they're really crucial for our happiness and our health. So it's important that we develop some skills to keep relationships strong or have the ability to know when it's time to let go. And sometimes that can be very hard. So intimacy, (laughs) intimacy is super important for these loving relationships that we want to have in our lives. But developing the skills for intimacy takes work. Let's face it, I've been married 30-something years, and I'm still working on it. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast today with Eric Newton. He is such a delight, and you would not believe what he did for a living. (laughs) So enjoy. This is a poem by Mary Oliver. It's called A Voice from I Don't Know Where. It seems you love this world very much. Yes, I said, this beautiful world. And you don't mind the mind that keeps you busy all the time with its dark and bright wanderings? No, I'm quite used to it. Busy, busy all the time. And you don't mind living with those questions? I mean, the hard ones, the ones that no one can answer? Actually, they're the most interesting. And you have a person in your life whose hand you like to hold? Yes, I do. It must surely then be very happy down there in your heart. Yes, I said. It is. I love that poem. It's her mind talking to her heart. It's so sweet. And oh, it just gave me chills. I, isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. <laughs> it's really I love Mary Oliver. So I'm talking today to a relationship expert, but he's a little bit different. Eric Newton, he is not what you would expect to be a relationship expert. He is a former family law attorney, and he is a podcaster, fellow podcaster. I don't often have them on my show. Uh, He's the host of the Together Show and also the founder of Together the Magazine. And he describes himself as someone who's been through a thousand divorces and still believes in love. I love that, Eric. It's so funny. (laughs) So we're going to talk about relationships. And, you know, Eric, I'm so glad you came on the podcast. We're coming into the holidays and, um, you know, it's a stressful time for a lot of families. And there's a lot of Uh, I have a lot of questions. I have one specific question I'm going to get to from a listener about different uh, spiritual belief systems and how how to sort of integrate them into a marriage. But first, I just want to talk about you because I think it's so cool that you've you've uh, created this brand for yourself where you've be, you've taken this sort of negative I mean sorry but divorce lawyers has a negative connotation and turned it around and made it a positive and that's so right up happy healthy use 
right up our conceptual what? alley. I don't know. <laughs> our <laughs> conceptual alley. Yeah, yeah. So tell us how how this came about, and um, also I want to know what is your status relationship wise. Well, two questions. So it came about. I guess the short answer is that when my law firm went under, which it did do, I was left after the sadness and fear and anger passed. I was left with this extraordinary sense of peace that I think stemmed from believing that I could really just do anything. I had lost everything so I could do anything if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, Totally, totally. Sometimes that's the birth of some of the greatest things is when we've lost everything. So yeah, and I I think it was for me, the it was in that moment, I thought, well, what had always given me the most peace and satisfaction? And the answer was that I am fascinated by and I love understanding and exploring the human romantic relationship dynamic. It just is never endingly fascinating to me. And I had been having these extraordinary conversations with couples about their relationships. And something, you know, something about being a divorce lawyer is I don't have a whole lot of fear about getting right, you know, cutting right to the chase. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to ask questions that just go right to the bone. And I do that with couples now from a loving perspective, you know, excited about what works and doesn't work for them from a healing place as opposed to a breaking them up place, which wasn't my responsibility, but I was certainly involved in it. Yeah, yeah. And it's such the antithesis of what we think of divorce lawyers uh, as being, you know. So how did that come about, this sort of shift from, uh, you know, the breakup to the... It was in that piece after the law firm had crashed. I thought, well, the thing I loved the most was exploring these these relationships with people. If I'm really being honest with myself, that was what kept me going during all those years when I was working as a divorce lawyer. And I thought, well, what, what you know, what would be a way to express that? And the idea of a podcast popped into my head. Oh, cool. at first it seemed a little yeah. silly, but I kept thinking about it. I couldn't get it out of my brain. Yeah, and before I knew it, I had everything lined up and I had launched the show. And you mm. know, now we've been going for eight months and it's, and it's blowing up. So it sounds like to me you really discovered what the the essence of what you uh, really enjoyed about your job, and it wasn't the fact that these people were having these horrible uh, experiences together. It was more about the relationships and the fascination of how human beings can get along. Or and, <laughs> yeah, and I got to say it was something of a surprise. You know, I mean, I I didn't know that there was anything to be enjoyed about it. You know, I, I, I enjoyed building a business. I was good at marketing my practice. We had a really successful law firm. That was fun. But the actual practice of divorce law just never did it for me. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't think I was going to be able to pull the gem out of that, but I sure did. I, I'm, this is the best and happiest thing I've ever done. With oh, life. that's so cool. I love hearing about transformation experiences. This was obviously one of them. Okay. So what is your uh, relationship status today? I'm in a I'm in a relationship that's committed monogamous relationship and we've been together for four years and two months as of right now. Okay. Well, it's actually even more specific. <laughs> four years, two months, and thirteen days. Wow. 
You're putting a lot of other guys to shame, Eric. So, <laughs> and I gals, think, and gals. So, yeah. I happen to remember the date because we had just gotten back from, or I had just gotten back from Burning Man, and so it's easy for me to remember the actual day. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. important. Cool. Well, I want to talk about uh, so many things with you, but let's just start with uh, from your vantage point. Uh, after thousand plus divorces and seeing these relationships that don't work, what does, I love to start this way, a good relationship look like from your viewpoint? What is, what is a good relationship? Can we start, start out there? Oh, but Connie, it's so (laughs) subjective. It's so subjective. Well, listen, look, Somewhere in the middle of you and I, you are are in a you're still single, right? You've, you've been together for four years, you said. Yeah. I've been married for thirty, gosh, three years. I stopped counting the months, so I, I have no idea. Thirty three years, I think. So, that, I, so yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So somewhere in between you and I, we can come to some kind of agreement about what. A, a stable, nice, good, healthy, happy relationship is, right? Well, I mean, I have to admit, I have my stock <laughs> answers to that question because of sure. what everybody asks. Sure. I can give you the stock answers, but I want to say before I do, well, because, we, you know, I want them to be genuine. They are, but of course. let's dig in. But but even before I answer, I just got to say, there are so many versions of this quote-unquote good relationship out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, I mean, it's just like there's so many configurations. We've seen on the show, I mean, every possible structure you can think of from non-monogamous triads to, you know, reconstituted post-cheating monogamous, mm-hmm. maybe not totally monogamous. You know, just everybody's different structure of how it works. People who live together, people who don't, you yeah. know, people who commute to see each other. But I think just to give a framework, I mean, there is mutual respect. There is some form of love. (laughs) I I think just to simplify it, right? I mean, for me, I I can talk about me. Uh, My marriage certainly has not been all, you know, roses and champagne. Well, they never are. (laughs) Yeah. It's silly to think that they would be. Exactly. But the biggest growth has come from the harder times. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the, that's the key for me, for me personally. And sort of the distillation of all the work that I've done, researching relationship success and interviewing couples and seeing the breakdowns, that that's the key to me is that if couples can recognize that it's actually the challenges, it's the conflict that gives them the opportunity to create real intimacy mm-hmm. and real depth in their relationship. So we might, might want to throw in a couple of words like tenacity, stick to <laughs> um, Yeah, don't don't run away from that conflict, that, that fierce courage to fa- to stand up to that to the truths that are right in front of you. So okay, so I yeah, I think when we're talking, I I agree with you that. To define a happy, healthy relationship is not that easy because it is different for everyone. But yeah, but you're right. There are there are these fundamental elements that mm-hmm. seem to be present in at least the majority of them. The 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 cliche that everybody wants to say is you've got to communicate, which yeah. is true. You've got to be true. able to communicate. The question is, what the heck does that mean? Right. But you know that's where the the real juice is in that topic. Sure. And there's got to be trust. You know, there's got to be, as you said, mutual respect. There's probably got to be some expression of physical, sexual passion. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true for everybody, but that's pretty common and very important. Uh, you know, those are some of the basics that okay. just have to be present. Where do we stand now? I know uh, a while back statistics were like 50% divorce rate. Where are we now with that? Uh, last time I saw the numbers, which was last year, we had dropped to 46 and a half or 46 and three quarters. Hmm. Um, and it, it has been on the steady decline for, I think, a couple of decades now or maybe, you know, a decade and a half. The numbers have been slowly but steadily declining. Hmm. And then I just read an article or I saw a headline for an article this morning, but I didn't read it that divorce rates somewhere, I think it might have been California, dropped 30% in the last year. Wow. seemed pretty high, so I, I, I don't want to cite it until I've seen it. But point being, the numbers are on the, on the decline happily. Huh. That's good. Maybe that's because you're not doing it anymore. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if I had that much of an impact, oh, my God. And, of course, your podcast and your, your uh, positive messages of relationship. Right. I yeah. shift to a positive message and it's yeah. impacted all of California. Yes. Hey, I'll own that. Totally. Take it. Take it. So <laughs> tell me what you've learned about relationships and marriage from being a divorce lawyer. In addition to these lessons that I've learned about diving into conflict and using the conflict to create intimacy, I definitely picked up some tidbits when I was in divorce court. And the one that I've been thinking about a lot lately from in fact, I put into a recent article, was this idea that you can really win any fight that you want to if you're stubborn or crazy enough. Hmm. Really, you can take any fight that you happen to be in, and if you're willing to call the other person's bluff and play chicken and push the conflict through and not back down, you can win. Because ultimately, people don't want to expend their resources to win those kind of crazy fights. But it's not worth it. It kills your intimacy. It ruins your relationships with the people around you. Nobody feels like they can trust you. And really one of the great lessons that I took from that is it's usually a good idea. Yes, you need to hold your boundaries, but it's usually a good idea to simply compromise. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to do that because you have to compromise in a way that has integrity with your own with your own needs you can't sacrifice your own needs Mm, but you've got to be willing to do it or you can't get through a normal relationship okay so compromise compromise is huge yeah compromise and not being dedicated to winning i think is the other way to put it you have to let go of being right all the time and that's hard for people you know it's safe to be right. right when you're right you know that you're okay you know that the other person's wrong that you're not going to be held to account for something. You know, I I think when we really dig down into the fears that keep us from doing what we know we need to do in the moment in a relationship, the fears really aren't real, but we sure believe in them. You know, Mm -hmm. we sure hang on to them. Mm -hmm. And and this is one of those examples. You know, we all need to build up that muscle of allowing ourselves to be wrong. Wayne Dyer used to say, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? (laughs) And sometimes it's just not worth being right. So That is so spot on. Yeah. What, what a good way to say it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so, so we're going to compromise. What else do we need to do to be happy in relationships? You know something I've seen in every, almost every successful couple that's been on the show, and I'm curious if this applies to you also, 
uses therapy often and not only when times are tough, they also use couples therapy when times are good. Mm, yeah, well, um, I'll tell you, we lost a child years ago, many years ago, and we had to go to therapy after that because there's no way we could have gotten, you know, the, the grieving process is so unique to every person, but it was definitely unique to my husband and, uh, you know, each of us dealt with it in vastly different ways and we had to try to come together on that. But once we kind of got over the hump of that, I used to look forward to going just because the intimacy that we could get to with a third party mm. sort of encouraging us was just so much deeper than uh, we could do on our own. So, yeah, I agree with that. And did you find did you find that you developed a way to get to that intimacy like you developed a skill set? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And so, and so now are you able to create that when you need to without the help of the therapist? Um, in many ways. I still kind of think, hmm, every once in a while we should, we should go back. And I, we're kind of at a point right now where we're in, a, we're in a new transition. We're empty nesters. And it would be kind of fun to explore. And that's a good, this is a good reminder. It would be fun to explore what the future looks like for us with somebody else because it's kind of unclear to both of us. We're just kind of winging it right now. So, yeah. 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 I, I find every time Aubrey and I go and talk with somebody who's a neutral third party expert, it always creates more depth for us. Mm, mm. You know, you just can't see the back of your head without a mirror. Mm -hmm. And you can't see your unconscious mechanisms and the things that are holding you back in your relationship without help. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. All those, all those habits and, uh, yeah, learned behaviors that, yeah, we like to blame our parents for, but whatever. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay, that, I, that's a really good idea. I like that. And I don't, you know, just to put the period on the sentence also, I don't necessarily think it has to be a therapist. I think it could be, uh, you know, a somebody in the clergy. Mm -hmm. I think it can be a relationship coach. I think it could be a seminar leader. As long as it's somebody who's neutral and not a friend. Friends friends cannot provide this value this service you know friends are too close they serve a different role in our lives they want to protect us they want to align with a particular side and a particular perspective they can't step out from the intimate relationship with their closer friend into a neutral space and effectively uh help couples see what they need to see about themselves mm. Yeah, yeah. I think the neutral third party, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be a, a necessarily a counselor. I want to tell you, I'll share with you guys the one, the best thing that came out of therapy for us, couples counseling. We had a house cleaner. Genius. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like such a simple, such a no brainer. But uh, we were, I was just bitching one day about, you know, how sloppy my husband was and my, uh, our, our therapist said, what the heck? Why don't you have a house cleaner? And I was like, yeah. He said, you can afford it. Just You're both working. Just hire somebody to do what he won't do. Done. 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 Yeah. Solved every, you know, most every problem in that one. That was worth all the money we paid. And it was so <laughs> simple. It. It's like, I couldn't, why couldn't I think of that myself? Or, well, that's what I'm curious about. Why couldn't you think of it on your own, do you think? You know, I think I felt the responsibility for the household because that's how I was raised. And I also think I felt, 
that he would judge me. You know, there was a lot of baggage beneath there. And, and I think also his mother never had someone to clean. You know, there's all that stuff that was in the way. And, you know, what the heck? We both work hard. Why not have somebody to do do that? And, and it made our relationship better and stronger. And I don't complain anymore. And, and it was also something for him to, you know, for another man to suggest that it, it was validation so for, it was good. It, yeah. Yeah. It made it an okay thing made for it an to okay consider thing. that another man was yeah. saying it. Yeah. That, it seems like such a simple thing, but it was huge. <laughs> huge. Well, it's, I mean, it's such a perfect example because there are these obvious answers for people that they're unwilling to consider sometimes. And I'm always curious why, you know, if it's, if it's sitting there in front of you, the answer is so obvious. What's holding you back? And, you know, you named I think you just named three or four of these little unconscious yeah. blockades that were in the way. And it's what's fascinating to me about them is sometimes you can just step over them and then they're done. End of story. Yeah. And sometimes you can, you can start to step over them, but to really get past them, you need to understand them. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's the beauty of therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Is it's this, it's this wonderfully, developed space in which we have the opportunity to really understand what these mechanisms are in our unconscious. And, you know, we don't get that space anywhere else in the world. Mm. Mindfulness is good though. A little meditation, mindfulness, yoga. Um, Okay. So anything else you want to share with us about, because I'm thinking this is great information for young couples who may be recently engaged Well, it brings me to a related point um, along the lines of sort of the domestic realities of being married. Uh One of the themes we've seen in the show and also all in literature about relationship success, if you talk to couples who've been together for a long time, they always say in one way or another that so much more of their relationship is management, is financial arrangements and scheduling and the little daily details of keeping a household and a life in order, that the vast majority of their relationship consists of that kind of interaction and not the long walks on the beach and gushy feelings mm-hmm. and the passionate sex that they kind of fantasized that it would be. And what they always say is that you have to learn how to get through those management details so that you can have the passion. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't manage the daily details, the passion will get stoppered up. True, true. So how does that work? Do you have any examples of uh, couples that you've talked to maybe on the podcast or couples you've interviewed for the magazine that that really got that right? Because I'll just tell you my own experience. My husband and I got married and he said, I don't have any expectations of you. You don't have right. to cook. You don't have to clean. And I'm like, really? That's great. And, and in my naivete as a young bride, I thought, wow, he's really cool. This is a cool feminist marriage that we have going here. But then, you know, nothing gets done if, if somebody right. doesn't pick up the ball. You know, so. so do well, you think- yeah, you said there's two things in what you said. One is that nothing gets done. So somebody does have to do it. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon resentment can build up. Even if you think that maybe you were the one who should be doing it, if the other person's not giving it its credence or doing their part, the resentment builds up pretty quickly. 
And if it doesn't get expressed, boy, that'll cause a huge rift in the relationship. That's one thing in that. Um, and the other point is that we have these unconscious, I know I'm talking a lot about the unconscious, but it's so huge in marriage. We have these unconscious beliefs about what marriage is supposed to be like. You know, they've been, marriage has been modeled for us by our parents and our friends and media for our entire lives. And each of us has this image in our head of what marriage is supposed to be like. And it's usually very different than the image that we talk about. And I've heard something similar to what you were just saying lots of times, that we acted one way before we got married. And as soon as we got married, we both started acting differently because there was something about these roles that we thought that we needed to fit into. And that I think is inevitable. I think this shift in behavior post the date of marriage is inevitable. And there's probably not a lot you can do to prepare for it in advance. You can try to explore it and try to understand it and talk about it. But the, the key is that when it happens, young couples need to not be terrified by it. Mm. You know, not be blindsided by it. Just know this is normal. This is normal. We're, we're adjusting. We're going to be in this phase for probably a couple of years before we work it out. And, you know, the key to the process of working it out is this full unbridled communication that we alluded to before, but didn't fully talk about. So now we can get into some really juicy stuff because you just hit on some, you know, all this unconscious stuff was leading us down this path inevitably to the question. And I already have an answer that I would share. What, what do you believe, Eric, that these relationships are for from a larger perspective, from like the macro spiritual perspective? What are we, what are we called to, um, uh, I don't know. I don't want to give you any words. What are relationships for? There's the word. That's the, what are the, what are these relations? What's the value of a close, intimate relationship in our lives? Well, I can talk about it on different levels mm -hmm. on the, the level of this world that we're all experiencing where we're individual people and we have these individual lives and agendas that don't always match up this world where we're talking to one another right now that's full of fear and desire in this world. What I see over and over is that we come together in order to drive up one another's most important and unresolved uh, core wounds. And that what happens in an intimate relationship is we trigger one another and both our best and our worst behaviors come out in that process. Mm. And this is why in relationships, you see people fighting with each other with a bitterness that they reserve only for the people whom they love the most. You know, that's it's an ironic phenomenon that we see over and over. People who love each other so deeply can be so nasty. Mm. And it's because this intimacy that's generated through deep love and sexual contact, frankly, drives up these, these, deep, deep unconscious core wounds. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually the purpose. We come together so that they get driven up so that we can heal them. Mm, there's no, there's no relationship in this world as effective for healing our deepest issues as an intimate romantic relationship because it gets right to the core. Yeah. So 
See, this is the juicy stuff. This is this good is stuff. stuff. <laughs> uh, who is it? Harville Hendricks, I believe, uh, wrote uh, about that, how we come into, we are attracted to our mate because they, they are there to heal our deepest unconscious wounds, really, yeah. with one of our parents or, um, I don't know, it could even go deeper than that. But, um, yeah, so... And Harville's work, uh, just for those of you who haven't heard of him, is, is uh, called Imago Therapy. Imago, that's right. Yeah, thank you. Imago Therapy. And, you know, the other aspect to that is what he's saying is that uh, usually the thing that you need to do to make your partner feel safe so that they can heal their core wound is the behavior that you need to take on to heal your own. Which takes it to an even higher spiritual level because how the hell do we come together anyway with these people? It's so miraculous, you know, don't you think? <laughs> it really is. I've wondered about the why of that coming together so many times. Uh -huh. I, part of me thinks that perhaps it's just that anybody you get really intimate with right. is going to, you know, you're going to get past their armor and you're going to trigger their stuff and it's going to happen in both directions. Because the way when people when people are triggered and act out, it in turn triggers something in us. And that's true for everybody. Hmm. And maybe it's just that when you're intimate, romantically intimate, it feels more intense. And so it seems like this perfect mystical connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes wonder that, too, because um, I I'm in this sort of a spiritual group that has gathered together. And there's like 10 of us and we couldn't be more different. But, but we have created this safe sort of web of intimacy and we trust one another and we really go deep into these. And I think the same thing could happen in that situation. So, um, yeah, it's the intimacy that is probably key in this situation. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I do see it happening in friendships a lot mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. and, and business partnerships as well. Really any relationship where you have an intimacy and a frequency of contact and some sort of shared agenda, you know, this stuff is going to come up. Sure. It comes up when you've got something you think is important. You know, as soon as you think something is important and an agenda manifests, then all of your identity is going to get wrapped up in causing that thing to be the way you think it needs to in order for you to be safe and happy. So when that, it, boy, that's going to implicate all of it. So when it comes up, it's just our job to take, turn the, mirror on ourselves and take a look at what's going on with us. Yeah. I, yeah. I believe it's our job to understand our mechanism uh -huh. and it's, and it's our job to make a safe, to create a safe space for the people in the relationship with us to understand their own. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Safety is, safety is really important. And especially for women, women need to feel safe to enjoy sex, to enjoy intimacy on all levels, I think. So yeah, that's a you good, know, it's a great word. I, Amen to that. And I just want to say it's important for men too. Mm, okay. The, the thing about being a man in our funny society right now is we're just not supposed to talk about having these difficult emotions. I don't know if we're supposed to talk about emotions at all in order to be masculine. Mm, yeah. There's this wonderful article, um, who wrote this thing called, uh, masculinity is, a, is a, uh, oh gosh, I forgot. I forgot the great title. Masculinity is an anxiety complex is the name of the article. <laughs> okay. And he basically lays out this lovely argument for the idea that this ideal that we have in Western culture for what a man is supposed to be in order to be masculine 
is by definition, if you start looking at the things we're supposed to do and not do, absolutely unattainable by any human being. And so all it does is create anxiety for men. And that anxiety causes us to shut down. And the way we respond to being shut down is trying harder to be masculine, which of course we can never do. And so it, it cycles and it's, um, it causes a lot of uh, tension and stress for men. Mm. And it's really confusing, I think, to be a man right now. It's my sense. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is. And I think it's confusing to be anybody right now, but, mm, but the particular flavor true. for men mm-hmm. is in, in Western culture is this question of how do we be sexual? How do we be emotional? How do we be intimate? And how do we express all of those things? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the answer is because the ideal that we see in, in the films is unattainable, we just need to make it up on our own. Mm, yeah. Be ourselves. And, yeah. And I want to say specifically to safety around sex it's true for men too. You know, you, you're not going to get a hard on if you don't feel safe. Mm. It, you, you can, you can fake it for a while by shutting down your emotions entirely and imagining porn or something. But, but in a real relationship where there's actual intimacy and communication, if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be able to have sex. You're not going to want to. Right. Right. Okay. Well, good. I'm so glad you brought that up because that that's an important I don't want to be sexist. That's the last thing I want to be is sexist. So I have a couple of questions from listeners, but the last thing I I just want to kind of cover um, is, you know, I guess you've seen it a lot. Sometimes these relationships are just not going to work. You've seen it, you know. Um, How do you know when it's time to call it quits and how do you do that with grace? Mm, Such a great I would love to see more of that because I've seen such negativity around this and it would be nice to evolve to a more graceful um you know the the idea that gwyneth paltrow and her husband had of the conscious, conscious. uncoupling <laughs> people made fun of it but it sounds it i mean it sounds great actually so well let me just say i just did a great interview with a therapist here in san francisco who focuses on the end of relationships and she says a whole lot about this topic on one of one of my podcast episodes called how you know when it's right and uh she says it much more eloquently than i do um and but my take on it is that again there's no one answer to this question i personally experience that if a relationship is good enough to be good it's also good enough to be extraordinary mm-hmm. But you don't have to pursue it if you don't want to. And it's okay. It's perfectly okay to call a relationship quits. Because really what's going on here in this life that we're living is that we're having an experience. And there may be some cosmic purpose to the experience. I have opinions about that. But in the end, we're just having an experience. And it exists right here in this moment. And there will always be another experience around the corner. And if if a couple wants to call it quits, even though their relationship is good, that's perfectly fine. As long as they do it, my view, as long as they do it in a self-reflective way that causes more awareness. And then what I often find is if people do the work to be self-reflective and cause more awareness, a lot of times they stay together. Mm-hmm but not always. 
and it's okay either way. Yeah, you find a little more compassion, a little more self-love, and, you know, all of a sudden you can love someone else the way they need to be. Yeah. 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 Now there are there are some direct answers to your question. I know I I sure. kind of gave a wishy washy answer. Um, there are a couple of direct answers that that I I don't think there's a hard and fast rules, but it can give people a lot of guidance. One is that if um, both parties aren't willing to do work in the relationship, it's probably not going to go anywhere. Mm. You know, if it's one sided effort, and you know, it's easy to start scapegoating your partner and saying they're not making effort. A lot of times effort is being made, but we get into this martyr complex where we're not seeing it. So that's a that's something that needs to really be observed when you're asking yourself this question. But if after honest reflection, and I think probably after therapy, you come to the conclusion that your partner isn't willing to, isn't capable, isn't interested in doing the emotional work that you need them to do in order to create intimacy in your relationship, then it's probably a good sign to call it quits. Um, another and probably much more obvious example is that there's abuse in the relationship. Mm-hmm. An abusive relationship can definitely be recovered from and healed. I've seen it happen, but it takes an immense amount of work. And the quote-unquote victim in those situations has to bear a lot of that burden. And a lot of times a victim just doesn't want to do the work and shouldn't have to, frankly. Yeah. So in an abusive relationship, uh, also get the healing, get the help, but probably get out. Mm. Any suggestions for uh, creating a graceful uh, divorce, a graceful breakup without, you know, and still being able to have a friendship or uh, honest communication around that? Well, yeah, on the divorce side, there's the emotional and then I think kind of like the technical answer to that question. The technical answer is usually the fights over the money are not worth the cost. You know, the what, what we saw over and over in the divorce context was that couples are so angry. Um, they feel so embittered. They feel so let down, cheated that they fight for things that they really don't need or really want. And after a couple of years have passed, we would often hear people say, you know, I didn't, I didn't need X amount of, I didn't need to fight over the custody or the support or the China or my grandmother's silverware, for goodness sakes. It, that stuff just doesn't matter. It definitely doesn't matter when you compare it to the, the amount of attorney's fees that you're probably mm, going to spend sure. to, yeah. to win those fights. Yeah. But it also doesn't matter in the emotional context. You know, after a little bit of time, the anger and the fear, they pass. Okay. You know, they move through. And you look back and think, why did I fight so hard for that? Mm, yeah. So a lot of our advice was, uh, I think when we were at our best, was helping people understand what to let go and where to surrender. A lot of times a surrender is what cause, uh, causes the peace from both mm-hmm. both sides. One party surrenders and the other party realizes they don't need to fight so hard either. Yeah, yeah. Good advice, good advice. Yeah. On the emotional side, it's kind of a different thing. You know, the emotional side comes from an understanding that um, probably the, the anger that you're feeling is rooted in fear. 
and probably the fear isn't as when you explore it fully isn't as solid as we thought that it was and when you can see the fear for the illusion that most of our internal anxieties are um you can have a lot more compassion for the person that you're letting go and that communicative breakup that comes from the self-reflection of understanding your own mechanism your own fear um you know those are the ones that result in friendships and transformation really exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly beautiful so time heals so remember that in two years this will not be important at all yeah. and if it is still important then you probably have some personal work to do mm. okay good you know i mean that's a hard blanket statement to say because i'm sure there's people out there who are still very angry for good reason and have great evidence to be angry at their former spouse from several years back but really if we're being honest and direct with those people the truth is it's time for you to move on and if you're still angry uh, it's time for you to do some work yeah yeah anger holding on to anger is not healthy <laughs> not healthy physically emotionally spiritually yeah Okay, so I want to get to a couple of questions from my listeners. Um, one person, I'm not going to mention any names because I promised I wouldn't, but one person said uh, <laughs> she has lost a ton of weight and uh, her husband is is just not on health the health bandwagon whatsoever. And she's kind of wondering, like, you know, she's leaving little hints and she's eating healthier and he's just like still eating the Fritos and, and the Cheetos. So do you have any suggestions for uh, couples who are just one person has made this transformation, whatever it is, and the other person may not be there yet or may not have any interest? So. You know, I, I kind of think he will or he won't get on board. You know, there's right, a couple angles to take this one from one. If she's leaving hints and he's not getting those hints, then I question why is she leaving hints that he's not getting? Is there actually some value that she's getting out of having him be overweight and unhealthy as a contrast to her? Mm. Okay. Um, that there, there's usually some stinky news in these inquiries. <laughs> That, that we have to face. And, and I don't know that that's the stinky news in this case, but she should probably look okay. at, at what she doesn't want to see about herself in that context. Um, so is there some reason she's leaving him hints that he's not understanding? That's the first question. And if that's not the case, um, then let's go ahead and get direct with him. You know, like, just, just tell him, just tell him why, what and why. And the what that she'd like him to be as healthy as possible had probably better come from the perspective that she loves him and wants to spend a healthy, happy life with him rather than the perspective that he's not good enough mm. or that there's something wrong with him. Um, that's just good communication skills. Uh, and I, because I think if she can get direct with him, his response is going to tell her a lot about what what's going on in their relationship and what's possible for the two of them in that regard. Good. And then the third direction I'd take this question from the third point of inquiry is why does that matter so much? Why does it really matter so much to her? And the answer could be that she wants to live a happy, healthy life with them. 
you know, the the answer could be that she wants him to uh, to to meet their grandkids, what have you. Uh, but it could be something else. It could be that she's embarrassed by him, uh, that she's not sexually attracted to him when he looks this way. Um, and those uh, those answers require a different kind of response. Wow, Eric, you should be a therapist. <laughs> are you going to go back and get your PhD? Or your, uh, that was good. Those are great answers. Thanks. I, I, thanks for saying that. I really appreciate it. I love this stuff, but I don't ever want to be a therapist. Oh, okay. there's, there's too much. Uh, I think there's too much restriction around that licensure. That's cool. But the education, yeah. heck yeah, and no reason not to do it. I, I, I'm so fascinated by these dynamics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. That was great answer. Great answers. Uh, okay, last one. Uh, this one, uh, this family has uh, the wife is from one spiritual background and the husband is from another, and they have young children. They haven't really. They're still young, but they want to be able to come together. And there's, they just haven't haven't taken the time to really create their own family traditions. And um, I don't know, I guess the question came from more of a sense of uh, how do we do this? And a little, I I don't know, I sense that maybe there's a little bit of fear of um, that we, there might not be possible, (laughs) but you must have seen couples or talked to couples who come from vastly different backgrounds who've made it work, right? Yeah. Lots of times you, you gave the standard answer in the question, actually, the oh. standard answer to that dilemma is to create your own traditions. Mm, okay. But what I find about that answer is that while it ends up being where people go, it ends up that is what people end up doing in the long run. There's work below that that needs to be done first. Like what? Like what's the work? Well, the question to ask first is why? What is it that each individual person wants for the kids? And why? And, you know, the, all, fundamentally, what people want for their kids is for their kids to be happy and to have good lives. I mean, when you get right down to it, that's what their kids, what, what people want for their kids. And just like when two couple, when two people get married and these unconscious beliefs about what marriage is supposed to look like manifest, um, that you can't really understand until you're married. The same thing is true with parenting. We have these ideas about how we're supposed to parent that have been modeled for us by our own parents and by society that we're not totally conscious of before we have our kids. Then the kids come into the picture and people suddenly start acting out what they believe to be right. And it's suddenly critically important because now there's this little life on the line. And by God, you're going to protect that little life come hell or high water because that's your duty as a parent and it's biologically built in. And what people lean on is these ages old belief systems that have been passed down in their communities and cultures. And then you have two people come together from different cultures and there can be a clash. And the degree of how painful that clash is, is measured by how attached people are to their belief systems. And so that was a long way of saying what I already said, which is you've got to understand why it's so important for you to do this particular thing with your kid Mm. so that you know why you're acting the way you are. And then you can communicate that to your co-parent. What Mm. you often find out is 
that there's a lot of crossover, actually. You probably want the same things. You're just speaking about it in different language. Yeah, yeah. So just get down to the root, get to the essence and the truth of what... Yeah, and oftentimes I found in my relationship, uh, my husband just didn't care as much. <laughs> so he went along with what I wanted. So we're not that vastly different. But uh, yeah, I I came from one Protestant religion. He came, well, he was Catholic, so I was Episcopalian. So And he, he totally honored everything I wanted to do because it was less work for him probably. <laughs> but it worked. It worked for us. So yeah. It's always yeah. such a good, when it works out that way, it's always... Yeah. It's always such a blessing. On the other hand, to have two really involved parents who have strong opinions is also good yeah. for the kids. Yeah. You know, yeah, in the long run. And they see see the compromise. Oh my gosh, Eric, there's so much more we can talk about. You'll have to come back and we'll pick a more specific topic. But if someone wants to uh, read your magazine, listen to your podcast, and find out more about you, where can they do all of that? Oh, that would be great. Uh, well, our website is together.guide. That's G-U-I-D-E. That's actually a new domain extension. So together.guide is the website, and that's where you can find the magazine and the podcast. And then from there, you can find links to all your different podcast players like iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, and your podcast is so good. I, I checked out a few episodes so far, and uh, you got some really juicy stuff on there. So I'm, I'm anxious to go exploring so I can learn Thanks. a lot. Thanks for saying that, Connie. I'd, I'd be honored if any of your listeners would hear the show and tell me what they think. Um, I, I just love hearing from folks. So cool. you know, don't cool. be shy. Okay. Well, I'm just going to end here with uh, the last stanza of that Mary Oliver poem where she says, her, her head says to her heart, it must surely then be very happy down there in your heart. Yes, I said, it is. You, Your heart seems to be very happy. So I'm glad you made that big transformation from the uh, divorce lawyer to the together icon that you are. <laughs> so Icon. You. I'll take that word. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Connie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for all the good work you do to spread the love. Such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy in paperback, Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.